We were in the Old Testament uh, this morning. You'll remember if you were here. Uh, now we're in the last third of the Bible, the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. So you have the New Testament, first four books known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in the third of those, and we're going to be reading from Luke uh, chapter 6, um, just a few verses, verses 46 through 49, as we pick up on uh, our teaching series in our church on the fundamentals of our faith. Um, and those fundamentals of the faith are codified or set forth in what we normally confess from week to week here, and that is known as the um, Apostles' Creed. You know, for, for those of you who are new here, we always reserve our afternoon service as a, a teaching service, and it tends to be a bit of a, and I want to increasingly do this, especially in our afternoon service, use it as somewhat of an interactive service. Um, you know, in the history of the church, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the history of the church, uh, especially in what we call Reformed churches, the, the afternoon service was reserved as what we call a catechetical service, a teaching service that was not aware of it. You may not be aware of this, but it was oftentimes um, interactive with the people of God. And um, that's what we do here as well, so that we might be grounded in the teachings of the Word of God, so that we might know what to say in this dark world where people need the gospel. If you had to explain the gospel in 30 seconds, would you know how to do that with someone? That's hard. Right, but we want to we want to go through this series so that we're we're grounded in what we believe and what we can confess before others. So um, we're going to be taking a look at the lordship of Jesus Christ uh, as a theme. Um, Jesus himself in this passage begins by referring to what we call his lordship. That's one of his many titles, and it's a very significant title. Um, so what I want to do with you now is uh, read this passage. And then we normally confess together a catechetical document known as the Heidelberg Catechism. And we're going to be looking at one of the many uh, questions and answers. It has 129 in all. We're looking at question and answer 34. But we're going to be looking at that a little bit later. We usually confess it after the Bible reading. We're going to change it up. We'll look at it in the sermon itself. But for now, I want you to take a look at the overhead. Okay? And I want you to take a look at verse 46. And I want us together to read verse 46. And let, us, let us say this out loud, okay? Let's say it together. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I wanted you to, to, to say that because that's a very significant statement that Jesus makes. Is why, do you, why do you not just call me Lord, but why do you call me Lord, Lord? As if to say, yeah, Lord, you're Lord of my life. But man, you don't do what I say. There's a disconnect there. That's not good. So Jesus is addressing that. So again, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus goes on to say, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Just one of the many teachings of Jesus that are, that's really put in simple language. And I think it's very, it's a very, uh, it was important in our, in our Lord's mind to when he taught to not speak in such deep philosophical language that only the erudite and the 
uh, formally educated would understand him, but, but people completely outside of any understanding of the scriptures or uh, children who had maybe little understandings because they're still young. He, he wanted to reach everyone with the gospel. So his teachings are very simple, but they're also very, very profound. All right. Um, up to this point in this, this series that we're going through on the Apostles' Creed, which contains, and the church has been confessing these since the fourth century, the very basics of the faith, we've been at that section of, of the Apostles' Creed where we're looking at, really fundamentally, the person work of Jesus Christ. I mean, we are a Christian church. We say, as a Christian church, we're followers of Jesus Christ. But really, who is Jesus Christ? And if you were here over the last couple of months, you'll remember, remember that we, we looked, first of all, at the name Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? And you recall that the name Jesus means, very simply, rescuer, deliverer, uh, savior. And you say, what do you mean? He saves us from what? Well, he saves us from our sins and puts us in right standing with God. So you remember when angel Gabriel came to Joseph and he informed Joseph that the baby Jesus was going to be born, right, conceived of the Holy Spirit and in time born of the Virgin Mary, and he said to Joseph, and you shall name him, what, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we looked at Jesus. We looked also at the name Christ or Christos in the Greek, meaning Messiah, meaning one who's come into the world to bear the offices or the calling of prophet, priest, and king. And we looked at the significance of that and how when we embrace Christ by faith as Christians, like Jesus, we hold that threefold calling ourselves as prophet, priest, and king. Now, we looked at that a couple months ago or a month ago, whatever it was, and uh, so I'm not going to rehearse all that. Now, we come to that third title, right? We confess Jesus Christ as Lord. What does that mean? Okay, you kids, listen to me, okay? This is why we have the catechetical series, this teaching series, for your sake, well, for all of us, but for your sake too. I want to ask you a very simple question. What comes to your mind when you think of Jesus as Lord? What does Lord mean? Anybody? Kids? Anybody? Lord? Yes. No, you didn't have your hand up? No, okay, then I missed it. Anybody want to make a venture? High priest. Well, Jesus is our high priest, but the word Lord does not refer first and foremost to Jesus as a high priest. Do you remember when we looked at the catechism a few months ago, we saw Jesus as our prophet and king? I'll get back to that in just a moment. Go ahead. Jesus is Lord. Very good. You're the ruler. Kind of like the boss, right? Adults, all right, you're in on this too, right? What do we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord? What comes to your mind? And don't think when I ask these questions, you know, he's a pastor, he's, got, he's looking for this perfect theological answer. I just want to know what's going on in your head. What comes in your mind when you think of Lord? Don't let the kids speak for you. Huh? Lord, yes. Pardon me? Authority. Yeah, I thought you said that? Authority? Good. Anyone else? We think of authority. We think of ruler. Anyone else? King, right? 
prophet, priest, king. So those two are very closely related, Lord and king, all right? We're going to fill this out. Let me begin. Thank you for your answers. All right, so let me begin with this. Um, when my parents were still alive, my dad retired from teaching at college, and then uh, my mom and my dad moved from the state of Iowa, being from the U.S., and they moved to the state of Michigan, and they moved during, to this, this larger well, near a larger city, but they were living in a smaller town, and that smaller town was really quite religious. And I, I gathered that very quickly because at night when I would take walks through that small town, I would see signs about this big, and people would post them on the corners of the property or on their front lawns, or even if they had a porch with windows, they would paste them on the front porch of uh, the, the front window of the porch, right? And like I said, it wasn't a big sign. It was just like this. And it said very simply, Jesus is Lord. And I would find them all over the town. It told me it was a very religious town. And I'm like, okay, well, someone who's walking through that town will probably very easily understand not only is this a religious town, but it's a religiously Christian town. And when they would post Jesus as Lord, that was not only their personal profession, but it was their message to the world. But I wonder, as people would walk through the streets, if they really understood what it meant that Jesus was Lord. Do we really understand in its fullness that Jesus, what it means that Jesus is Lord? Or one other thing. We confess the Apostles' Creed, right? Every week we confess that creed here in this church in our afternoon service. And we confess these words. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our what? Our Lord, our Lord. Now, listen, you're confessing that. I'm not the only one confessing that. We're together confessing that. But when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, do you really understand what that means? That he's really Lord. What does that mean? And, and, and Lord of what? Okay? Now, um, the, the, the title Lord, let's, let's get into the Bible a little bit. The title Lord is, is found throughout the Bible, and uh, you, will, you, will find it, you will find it not only in the, in the New Testament reference to Jesus, but you will also find it broadly in the Old Testament. And um, you know, if you do a little bit of research, what you discover is that uh, as regards Jesus, there are about 200 names or titles given to Jesus. Now, that's a lot. And one of those titles is a very important title that we, that we find over and over again, and that is Jesus as, here's the title, Lord. And really, that idea of Jesus as Lord goes back already to the first two-thirds of the Bible, which is the Old Testament. And there are various words that we find in the Old Testament that point to the lordship of God. For instance, there's the Hebrew word Adonai. And you will actually find that word um, Adonai throughout the Old Testament, not too many times, but it will be mentioned. And when you read your Bibles, and this is, this is something that maybe you already know, but maybe you don't. But oftentimes in an English Bible, which is the English translation of the Hebrew language. When you find the word Adonai, it will be rendered L-O-R-D, but it will be a capital L followed by a small case O-R-D. When you find that, that's pointing to God as Adonai, which means the one who possesses all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Okay? 
Now, there's another name for Lord that is used even more frequently in the Old Testament, and that is the, the, the name or the uh, word Yahweh, or sometimes is rendered in the, English, the older English, Jehovah. And the, the name Yahweh, when you read the scriptures, you will find not a capital L and then small case O-R-D, but a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when you read that, you go, okay, that's not Adonai, that's Yahweh. And Yahweh is, is a name that points to God as the one who has a formal and open and personal and committed relationship with all believers in Jesus Christ and their children. That's why we call that his covenant name. So, um, you know, if you want, if you have a Bible with you, and if you, want, if you want to quick look it up, if you look at the opening of Psalm 8, actually it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So when it says, O Lord, our Lord, the first Lord there is Adonai, and the second one is capital L-O-R-D, referring to God as Yahweh. And then finally, there is Yahweh, and that's Yahweh Sabaoth, and that means God is the Lord of heaven's armies. He's the Lord of angelic armies. So the, my point is, without going on and on with this, is that when you look at the term lordship in the Old Testament, it points to God as the one who has, as some of you have said, all authority and power and exercises majesty and control and care and ownership over all things. Not just in his people's lives, but also over every inch of created reality, right? So if you want to understand like the lordship, if to kind of bring it down to the earthly level, think of, uh, um, think of the series Downton Abbey. Um, I know that you've all watched that, especially the guys here. I know you've loved that. Um, that uh, oh, come on, you can laugh a little bit. All right, so... I remember there's a there's a, a missiologist named Mike Goheen, and he was he was teaching all these guys, these dudes, and they were all pastors, they were would be pastors, and I don't know how they got talking. They talk about Downton Abbey, and 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 uh, and and they were nobody wanted to confess that they actually watched Downton Abbey, and the guy finally one guy says, okay, I, he raised his hand, and says, I watch Downton Abbey, but I do 30 to 40 push-ups when I do. He had to be a dude. All right, it's okay. Okay, now think of Robert and Downton Abbey. I hope you guys know who Robert is. Okay, Robert is the lord of Downton Abbey. And you remember there's Carson, and Carson is the butler. Now, Carson will never refer to Robert as Robert, as if Robert's just one of the guys of Downton Abbey. It's always the old lord, right? Yes, my lord. Yes, my lord. Why? Because he was recognizing. He was recognizing Robert as the lord of the matter, as the one who is in authority and power and control and care, and he's the owner of that whole abbey. When you think of Jesus, then, you got to think of that, but in, of course, a much broader and a more substantial way, right? So the word for Jesus as Lord in the New Testament is not Adonai, it's not Yahweh, it's not Yahweh, Sabaoth, but it's Kurios, Kurios. So that when we confess Jesus as Kurios, as Lord, what we're doing is we're taking hold of the substantive teachings about the lordship of God in the Old Testament, and we're applying it to Jesus as God. And we're saying when we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying he is one in his person and in his work. 
who exercises power, authority, majesty, ownership, oversight, care, and protection. Not only over his people, those whom the Father has given him, but over, over all of created reality. Everything that happens in the heavens and also happens on the earth. So the reason why I take time with that is to say when we confess Jesus as Christ as Lord, we're saying that we don't serve God light and we don't consider him lightly. But he's a muscular savior. He's a flexing savior who when he looks at our lives and we looks at the world, he says there's not one square inch of all of created reality where I don't say, you know what, it's mine. It belongs to me. Now, with that whole explanation, the real practical question is, what does that mean for our personal lives? Are you living right now in such a way that you can say that there's a direct connection between my confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and actually the way that I live my life on a day-by-day basis. Because, you know, what Jesus teaches us in the Bible is it's very easy to know that up here. It's very easy to believe that in here. It's very easy to confess that with our lips. But there be a distance between that and actually the way that we live our day-to-day lives. Listen, isn't that what Jesus dealt with in our passage? You know, listen to those words again. Jesus says, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord? He doesn't say, it's very interesting, he doesn't use the name or the title Jesus. He doesn't say, why do you call me Jesus, Jesus? Or Christ, Christ, or Messiah, Messiah. But he uses the title Lord. Why do you say, Lord, Lord? Why do you say that I am in complete ownership and control of you, but you don't do what I say? Jesus puts it like this in a parallel passage, a little bit differently, in the the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my heavenly Father. So what is Jesus getting at? He says, you know, it's very possible to know and to believe and to confess, and yet there still be that disconnect with how we live our day-to-day lives. Of course, Jesus' desire is that all of these, what we believe and what we know and what we confess, actually blend with the way that we live our lives. And that's not just not the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the apostles, because Jesus knew it was the natural tendency of every one of us for that to be the disconnect, right? Um, Well, who's the one? who has truly embraced the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to draw your attention, beginning at verse 6, 46, and read through again. Again, a teaching very simple but very important. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you actually what he's like. Now, first of all, he describes the person who confesses the lordship of Jesus Christ with his lips and the person who actually has that influence his life that person is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid that foundation on the rock and when a flood arose a stream broke against that house and he could not shake it because it had been well built 
Now, then Jesus goes on to talk about the person who, yeah, confesses the lordship of Jesus Christ, but has very little influence on his life. And he says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground, actually without a foundation, and when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Who is the person who has truly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, according to Jesus? Very simply, it's a person who's sound, who's steady, who's strong, and whose life has been built on a solid foundation. But the one who has refused to surrender to Christ as Lord is one who's been built on a very faulty foundation so that when the streams, or as some translations have it, the floods come, the difficulties of life, they bear down upon that person and they cave in because they have not surrendered to Christ in all things of their lives. I mean, again, just a very simple but also very poignant point of Jesus. Now, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is also explained in, in this document, what we call the Heidelberg Catechism. What does it mean when you and I really confess Jesus as Lord? And what we're going to see is that when we confess Jesus as Lord, we're saying he's not only Lord over our sin, freeing us from that sin, but he also exercises kingship, rulership, power over the devil himself. Take a look at it if you would. Why do you call him, that is Jesus, our Lord? Because he has ransomed us. You know what a ransom is? A ransom is a payment that is made in order to free an individual who's being held captive. What's the payment of the ransom? It's his blood, the price of his own life. Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not, all, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood. But notice also this, as Lord, he has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. Through his power, free from two things, from sin and from the devil. Now, we're freed from more than that when you take a look at the Bible, but that gets at the very essence of the lordship of Jesus Christ, which, of course, raises the question then, do we confess that not only with our lips, but do we believe that in our hearts, and does that really influence the way that we live our lives? Because that's Christ's desire, right? Usually in our afternoon service, we keep it a little bit shorter, so I want to draw your attention to this. I want to leave you with some things to think about. Um, brothers and sisters, listen, we are all in the same boat, and we, we are all naturally prone to what I call compartmentalize our lives, cordon off our lives, to build walls in our lives, where, you know, I find it very easy among Christians, and sometimes I find it easy with myself to know the proper theology and to know that I'm called to surrender to Jesus Christ in all things, and yet have certain parts of my life where I kind of go, you know what, um, that's off limits. It's kind of off limits. Don't we all have that? I want you to think about one or a couple areas of your life where you have not, by your own admission, confessed Jesus' lordship over that. Certain parts of your life that you have not surrendered to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you that question during our discussion time. 
I know it's a rather personal question, and there might be some things in your life where you go, boy, I don't know if I want to say that out in public. Okay, but maybe there are some things that you are experiencing right now or things in your lives that you have experienced that you realize that you needed to kill in your own life in order for Christ's lordship to take over. Okay, I want you to think about that. And I would like to hear some things, okay? The second thing is this. Um, I find it very easy with, with Christians to, when we talk about the lordship of Jesus Christ, to talk about it only in a very personal way. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism talks about that. When we, when we confess Christ's lordship personally, we're saying, well, you know what? As the owner of my life and as the one who I belong to, remember the first question and answer? What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a confession of lordship, by the way, right? And it's very easy to confess that on a very personal level, which the, which the catechism really emphasizes. But the lordship of Jesus Christ is even broader than that. When we confess the lordship of Jesus Christ, we're confessing that he is lord not only over our lives, but he's lord over the entire creation. Now, the, many, many in this world do not confess the lordship of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't take away the reality that he is lord and that he is king. And as Christians, when we confess that, we're really saying, not only is Christ my personal lord and savior, but he, he affects and he's supposed to affect everything that's associated with my life, like... Entertainment, like how we spend our leisure, like um, our relationships, who we're dating, who we decide to marry, uh, education. You know, in our circles, and for those of you who may be here or who are not very familiar with our circles, in our, in our Christian circles, uh, we play a, place a lot of emphasis on not just the catechetical training of our children in the church, but also the education of our children in their day-to-day schools. And many of us, in fact, most of us send our kids to Christian schools. You ever, you know, do you know why you do that? Is it just so that they get a nice moral instruction? I've had many parents who sent, had their kids go to the public school, at least this was in the States, it was state education, and they realized their kids were not, not only not getting an education, but they were influenced spiritually in a very negative way. So they said, we're going to send our kids to the Christian school. Why did they send their kids to the Christian school? So they wouldn't get caught up in the dope and the violence and the sex that was going on in those schools. But that's not a sufficient reason. As Christians, we say, we, send our, we either homeschool our kids in a Christian way, or what we do is we, we educate them Christianly, in a Christian manner, in a day, Christian day school, because not only of the covenant, because of Yahweh, but also because Christ is Lord. And Lord, Jesus, Jesus is the one who exercises every inch of the creation, and there's no way that we can understand God's world and properly interpret all the facts of God's world unless we see Jesus in science, Jesus in geography, Jesus in, in the laws of grammar, and the laws of physics, the laws of science, the laws of gravity, and all of that. You can't, you can't properly have a true education without, exer- without understanding the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see how important the lordship of Jesus is? When we confess Jesus is Lord, it's not just a personal thing, but it's a much broader broader thing. And finally, I want to leave you with this. I think for some people, especially when they're considering the Christian faith, and when they hear something like this, 
um, it really kind of bites into what we call their autonomy or their desire for self-rule. And that's something that we all struggle with. Because we're really saying that Jesus is owner. We're not, our, we're, not, we're not our own God. We are not owner of ourselves. We are not our own bosses. But Christ is the boss. He is the Lord. He's the one who lays claim to every part of our lives. And I think when someone hears that, they kind of go, you know what? Uh, that's too restrictive. I want my freedom. Here's the irony of the Bible. When you confess Jesus is Lord, that's the most freeing thing in all of the world. Put those two scriptures up, if you would, AV team. Can you look at that? Okay. Look at what Jesus says. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Limit your freedom? No, no, no. Knowing that truth will set you free. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's restriction, now there's freedom. Freedom from what? When Christ is Lord of your life, He is the one who has set you free from what? He set you free from guilt and the power and the penalty of sin. He has set you free from the tyranny and the power of the prince of darkness over your life. He has set you free from the allurements of the world that when people embrace them, they get caught up into the world. You want to talk about enslavement? He set us free really ultimately from our own selves. Many times we are our own worst enemy and the things that we give ourselves to, they enslave us as well. And finally, he set us free from fear. The fear of having to die and the fear of what happens after we die. I cannot tell you how many times when I talk to people who are outside the Christian faith, and I, I think I brought this out before when I asked them about, do you believe in a heaven or hell? It is amazing to me how many just have this sense of justice in them that they kind of go, yeah, I believe in a heaven and a hell. I do, you know? But they all think that they're going to heaven, right, because they're good enough, and then it occasions another discussion. But when you know Christ, not just as Savior, but as Lord, and you understand what that Lordship means for setting you free, that is a beautiful thing. It sets you free from the fear of condemnation and what is to come. So let's remember, and we're going to have discussion in just a moment, but let's remember these things. The next time when we confess the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll have a little bit of a discussion together. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we come to you this evening, and Lord, with this explanation of your lordship, and particularly the lordship of Jesus Christ, we understand, oh God, that there is to be no bifurcation, no wall that is set up between ourselves and Jesus, who lays claim to every inch of our lives. But Lord, knowing that and confessing that, that's not always an easy thing. Lord, we all have an area or area of our lives that we have a hard time submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, thus keeping ourselves from ultimate freedom. Lord, we pray whatever those areas are of our lives, we pray that you would help us to overcome them, that you would give us the power through your Spirit to overcome them so that you might reign freely in our lives, for your glory and for our blessing, and ultimately as a testimony to this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.